0: This message was recorded at the Christ Central Elders and Wives Weekend, an event organized by Christ Central, part of New Frontiers. You can find out more about Christ Central by visiting our website, ChristCentralChurches.org. Okay, it's good to
1: hear from the beautiful. Uh, Tony Smith. (coughs) Listen, this man knows how to give Kay a good time. Took her to Goa, found the only shipwreck in the whole of Goa, and decided that's where he was going to take her to Kay. What a a man, eh? Uh, There's only one shipwreck in the whole of Goa, by the way, and Tony found it. So on his sabbatical, so brilliant, mate, brilliant.
2: I've learned Thomas Cook.
1: We want to uh, do this this afternoon's talk together, Heather and I, and uh, it would be uh, it will be it be helpful if actually you all had your pens and paper out, because what I'd like you to do this afternoon is I'd like you to. Pen and paper there. there are pens and papers over here. So, I would like you to score, as you go through each of these points, I'd like you to score yourself out of ten, and I'd like you to score your wife or your husband out of ten.
2: You can't score us.
1: And then uh, I'd like... I'd like you to go, uh, at the end of this talk, in in four four o'clock, I'd like you to go back to your rooms and I'd like you to compare uh, your scores. And it it may be that on one or two of these points that we cover, you want to increase your score even today, okay? So it would be very practical. Whilst people are getting their uh, pens and papers, uh, let's just have a little bit of an icebreaker. Heather uh, and I have uh, known each other we, since we have been 15 years old. Uh, in fact, this is quite unusual today. Heather is the only girl I've ever kissed and gone out with. I mean, that's, that's incredible, isn't it? F- 15 years old. It was, for me, it was love. At first sight, and uh, I just knew she was the girl that I was going to get married to. Whoa, 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 whoa. Hold on a minute. I'm not sure that's on. Is that on? Yeah, that should be on.
0: How many girls find 15 year old lads in their school uniforms attractive? Actually, I shouldn't ask that now because you're a bit too old for that. I told Anne I'd put my foot in it the minute I opened my mouth. There we go. Great. Um, so, yeah, I met Guy when he was 15. He was at the boys' grammar school. I was at the girls' grammar school. We used to catch the same bus from a town outside Winchester. And I became vaguely aware of this person who just used to stare at me in this intense way <laughs> and then started writing in the condensation on the windows, I love HB, which was me because I was Heather Bailey then. Um, and although it was quite nice in some ways, it was a little bit weird in other ways.
2: LAUGHTER
0: um, Then we, uh, yeah, I I just used to ask my friends who is that bloke and I found out his name was Guy, which I thought was hilarious because I'd never met somebody called Guy before. I actually quite like the name now, but I didn't at the time. Um, The next time I remember meeting Guy was, my father came back into, uh, the doorbell had gone in our house. He came back into the house and said, this was about 10 o'clock at night, and said, there's a young man at the door uh, He wants to speak to you. And I went to the door and there was absolutely nobody there. And then there was a suppressed hysterical giggle and Guy's friend Stefan pushed him out in front of me. So he was going kind of, uh, in front of me at the door and that was Guy. And Guy said, oh, hi, I wondered if you'd like to come for a walk. But I went, uh, probably not. No. Well, how about a walk tomorrow night? And I went, oh, no, I don't think so. And that was, that. That was all over.
1: I mean, yeah, talk about break a guy's heart. I couldn't stand her after that, just yeah. so you know. You know love turns to hate overnight? Well, that was it. <laughs> uh, and then, uh, then, by God's grace, I got invited by another girl um, to go to church. And I'd never been to church, okay? So I'm an unchurched person, invited to go to a carol service. This girl said, would you like to come? And I went to this carol service. And when the guy, the vicar said, there's people here tonight going to surrender their lives to Christ, I found myself standing up. I found myself going to the front of this long Anglican building, falling on my knees and accepting Christ as my saviour. And uh, you were there, weren't you? I didn't know she was there, but she was there. So do you want to take the story from there up to today?
0: (laughs) How long have we got? (laughs) I'd been in a Christian family all my life, but this is the first time I'd ever been to a meeting and seen somebody who to me was just changed radically there and then overnight and it certainly did something in me and we got chatting in the car on the way back so we we're in a sort of minibus youth group type thing he started coming to our church and i decided he was really really nice because mainly he just had such a love for god he was so on fire i mean he was a bit crazy he used to put jesus loves you stickers all over his school briefcases and all this sort of stuff but i just saw something in him that i thought This bloke has got something that I would love myself um, because he's just so enthusiastic for God. He's so bold in the way he witnesses and he was great fun to be around. And we eventually started going out with each other at the grand old age of 16 um, and stayed going out with each other. I went off to teach training college when I was 18 in London so we'd only see each other so often. But we got married at 21 which was very young Um, and we've been together 31 years since. Yeah. So, although it might have been a bit shaky in places, it's been good. We've learned
2: lots of things. Don't stop there.
1: <laughs> Moving swiftly on. <laughs> a bit shaky. <laughs> I'd start off with, yeah, the first few weeks. Uh, they were shaky. Hey, you're right. Um, we... Uh, when, we, when I uh, speak in different settings, teach it training stuff or church, or sometimes Heather and I, particularly with our four kids, we'd often do things apart. Uh, every now and then, Heather appears in a room. Now, I'm not expecting Heather to appear in a room. And uh, I, I say this. Uh, I say, every time that happens, there is a rise of joy and excitement like it, there was on our wedding day. Like the time we first started going out with each other. Actually, marriage for us, while we love to speak on marriage, is marriage actually, for those of you who've been married a year or five years or ten years, it can and does, I believe in God, grow deeper and better. And uh, you might think when you're a young person, the wrinkles, the grey hairs and all the challenges you have as you get older, I want to say this. When Jesus says he loves his church, I believe that he understands fully the the, the challenges of living in the world, the stresses, the strains. But I tell you, when we approach him as his church, I believe his face turns towards us. He he is going to have his bride without wrinkle or spot. He sees that beautiful bride prepared as from eternity and he embraces her. And I feel marriage should reflect something of that. That's what the Ephesians 5 is talking about. It's talking about Christ and the church, but on earth... We can experience something of that in our marriage together. And so we want to have a bit of fun this afternoon. We don't want to get too heavy. So we're going to alliterate the, the word sparkle, S-P-A-R-K-L-E. And uh, each one of these you're going to score yourself and you're going to score uh, your wife, your spouse, the other, and then you're going to have some fun when you go back to your bedrooms finding out how you... Thank
2: you, Carl. I to permission. <laughs>
1: Let me read the Bible before Tony, Tony gets suicide. To <laughs> Tony's already filled in the S, he's, he's waiting for the P. <laughs> Safety spectacles, S. Verse 22. Ephesians 5, Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of his body, the church, which he is the saviour. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church, without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it, just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. And for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each each one of you should also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. The S is satisfying sex. Okay. There are every second of every day 11,000 people making love. In the time I've taken to say that, that's (laughs) 55,000. In fact, why don't we stop this message and join them? (laughs) (laughs) Much better way to spend (coughs) an afternoon.
2: Okay, we. we,
1: We live in a sex-craved and saturated society and uh, divorce is on the rise. We know that 45% of marriages in the UK fail. Actually, the saddest thing about that statistic is Christian statistics are not hardly any different from the world. Uh, Number one reason cited is money, monetary things. Second is sex or relational breakdown in terms of someone going off with some other person. Um, Truth is as we get older, the grass can look greener on the other side of the fence or the other side of the internet. And marriage can become all too familiar and sex become all too um, non-plus and routine and very much fade out of a marriage relationship. Now, I want just to remind us that the only theological bit really in this afternoon's talk is that marriage was God's idea he invented it. it, it was his creation ordinance in Genesis, men and women, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and I believe it's so important we understand that God's uh, intention in marriage reflects something of his own trinitarian triune nature, Father, Son and Holy Spirit, that God made Adam in some way incomplete and that Eve in that marvellous mystical way united with her husband made Adams, completed Adam, complemented Adam together one flesh unity and God said to them be fruitful, multiply and subdue the earth. And God's wedding present to man, Adam and Eve on that first wedding, his wedding present to them was sex and uh, we, I, just, I always think what happened at that moment after the wedding ceremony, did Ad, what did Ad, what do they say? Did, God, did Adam say, God, you can go now? Uh, you know, did Eve say, you've got to be joking, please don't go now, is there a manual? I don't know what they would have actually said, but we do know this, that actually what followed was a physical union and a spiritual union, and God says it was good. We need to reclaim sex from the world and the domain of the enemy and bring it into the realm of God where he says actually it was of his intention, his design and it is good. And if God says it is good, we know Satan hates that all that God says is good and holy and wants to defile it and deface God's image by corrupting that gift and promoting other views like dirty or boring or in some way twisting it to becoming something that it was, an extramarital, premarital sex. But if we're going to have bright, burning, holy fires of local churches, we must, leaders, husbands and wives, have satisfying sex lives. Now the question that is often asked at this point is how often is a satisfying sex life? Well in England the average is three and a half times a week. (laughs) Now I want to know who it is halfway through, (laughs) rolls over and says, I think we'll leave it there. (laughs) (laughs) We'll we'll finish off next week. Or I would like to challenge those dullards who say having sex is just doing what comes naturally. (laughs) People who tend to say that have very frustrated wives. We need sex lessons and we need tutorials. And two are sanctified. One, your spouse. Two, the Bible. And I would say this, this afternoon, be a good student. Wherever you're marking yourself this afternoon, there is room all for all of us for improvement. Heather.
2: That's
1: right.
0: I'm sorry we had to start with the S for sparkle. Um, guys asked me to sort of address the ladies with the kind of things I'm going to say for the S P A R K L E. So, in Ecclesiastes, it tells us there's a time to embrace and a time to refrain, which to me implies that there are times when you're more likely to make love and more times when you're not. And I'm sure that people who are young here are looking at somebody like me who's 52 years of age and thinking, wow, <laughs> who would have thought? But the. <laughs> There are times and seasons, okay? So I've gone through the new baby season when you are so exhausted that it's the last thing on your mind. I've also gone through, virtually completed now the season with teenagers when they're around all the time and they're up to way after you go to bed. So I know these seasons of finding time alone together and times to be intimate challenging. Having said all that, I think it's true to say that Your sex life is a good barometer of your marriage generally. It's not the only one, but it is one of the ones. And that if you are intimate together as a couple, spiritually, emotionally, then you are more likely to be intimate physically. And if you're not intimate physically, you need to perhaps think, I wonder why this is. Is there a problem in some way? Um, I love it too when you meet older people. Um, I'm not going to name any names, but we have an older couple in our church who definitely still have a frisson, And uh, I think for all ages, you look and think, wow, it's great, because it doesn't matter how old you are, you can still have that sparkle of closeness and intimacy. There can still be that desire to hold hands and be close. And I think that's a wonderful thing to see. Um, And the only other thing I was going to say was for perhaps some ladies here, instead of thinking, oh, no, you want sex again... If you can see it as he wants to show you how much he loves you, how physically attractive he finds you, it does change your perspective when, you know, you know that's what he would like and perhaps you're not in the mood because together you can, you you, you will grow together much more if you can see it like that rather than just, uh, well we did it yesterday so why on earth does he want to do it today? (laughs)
1: Amen. I can remember a very early conversation in our marriage relationship. Heather said to me, I think you'd want to make love every day of our life if I let you. And I said, yep. It's a good starting point. That's my negotiating, my first negotiation point. Everything else moves from there. The P is praying together. 1 Peter 3.7 uh, tells uh, husbands in this way that, that we should be considerate in the way we live with our wives so that nothing may hinder your prayers. And uh, I think a hindrance to our answer prayer, you know, so, so often we can spiritualize prayer and think, is there a problem with heaven But actually, I believe this verse teaches us that actually thoughtfulness, generosity, kindness towards our wives is an important part of how, as leaders, we live out our Christianity and our spirituality. And prayer, by the way, if Heather said that's a barometer, sex is a barometer, prayer is another barometer in terms of your spiritual life. Here's an honest, honest thing. When we got married, I would not pray with Heather. Okay? When we got married, I felt... I felt prayer was, I felt spiritually manipulated. I felt inadequate. I'd only been a Christian a few years. Heather had been a Christian all her life. I didn't know the Bible. I I was someone who was obviously proud and therefore we would pray in separate rooms and, uh, you know, prayer was that sort of way we did it. But I, I, I came to a persuasion that actually prayer, even a daily prayer, even at the end of a day a prayer, was a great way of making sure the relationship was healthy. And here's why. You cannot, you can fool your wife, but you can't fool God. And if at the end of the day, which was our discipline was, okay, before we put the lights out, we're just going to thank, we're not going to have a 10 minute, 20 minute prayer time, by the way. Don't think of us super spiritual like that. No, just five minutes to say, God, I want to thank you for Heather. I want to thank you for the day. Lord, we bring some of the worries and thank you for the kids and that's it. You're dealing with business. Here's what happens if you are at odds with your spouse as men. If you are frustrated, if you are annoyed, if there's unresolved issues, you can't pray. It was a way in which it brought to, to clarity, not letting the sun go down on anger. You can do that verse by praying. And when you, pray, when you can't pray, this is how it used to go. It was like a sort of a Punch and Judy show when we went to bed at night. It was. Because Heather would go, How are you feeling? Fine. Oh, I'm so tired. And switch the light on. She'd she, she switch the light back on again. She goes, Are we going to pray? And I said, Oh, I'm so, so tired. Switch the light off. Switch the light back on again. And we'd go like this. It could go, honestly, it'd go like this for two hours. <laughs> And the reason, eventually, when you actually would humble yourself as a man and say, what is the issue? The issue is unresolved issues of the day and particularly pride. And so prayer is a wonderful, wonderful thing as a couple. It says the family that prays together, stays together. Prayer, when you're marking yourself as men think about what your prayer life is because we can lead a really good prayer meeting. Jerry and I can lead a good prayer meeting. We can lead a prayer and fasting and come on folks and get... But actually, the truth of the matter is if we can't lead a good prayer meeting with our wife, we're probably not actually in a good place ourselves in terms of understanding prayer. I was speaking to a leader in my sphere recently, well, this week actually, and a leader who, who is, uh, he was trying to look after a leader who's going through a real difficult thing. And he said, the truth of the matter is the marriage has never been happy. The family have never been happy. It's a very dysfunctional family. He's good on his feet in front of people, but actually at home he cannot lead his wife. They've never prayed together. And so for that reason, I just want to say, look, guys, is, can you humble yourself to be a man who is the instigator of a prayer life, a family prayer life, where you are daily, and don't get religious on me, because it doesn't matter if you go a few days and miss it, and you are tired, but you are regularly clocking in with God and checking with your spouse that there's no unresolved issues that are growing. Prayer.
0: I think in terms of marking one another for this sort of thing, I can imagine that there could potentially be some um, situations in the room where women are tempted to say to your husband, there, I told you so. I I, I said that we were supposed to pray together. Look, Guy said it, so why don't we pray together? And it suddenly becomes a very um, wife-driven thing. And let me just tell you, that doesn't help anything, okay? Okay. I lived in a family growing up with a mum and dad who were both committed Christians. But all my life, I can remember my mum saying, we don't pray together enough in this family. Ted, you really should take charge of prayer at the dinner table and stuff like this. And I'll tell you the effect it had. I don't remember my dad praying with my mum ever. And I think if wives think, oh, right, this is a stick I can beat my husband with. He's not spiritual enough. He's not taking authority for my family enough then you're on a hiding to nothing. So I would say, before you start saying to your husband, we really need to pray more, you need to pray for your husband as much as you do, if not a lot more, than saying, we really must pray together, darling. So it doesn't become like a battleground. Guys have got to initiate this, I think. I mean, if you haven't done it for a while and you're just thinking, I'd really like to pray about such and such, that's one thing. But if it's something that you are tempted to nag your husband to do, don't do it because it won't achieve anything but uh, resentment.
1: Okay, that's such a good point. So uh, please d- don't in your market. This marking is not is meant to be fun. Okay, it's not meant to be. You're not meant to all come back in tomorrow going flipping. heck, I got two out of ten on the prayer. This is meant to be a little bit of a course adjustment. Polishing your marriage, saying actually some room we can improve in this area. Hopefully there's one or two areas, not just the sex. That I mean, you might just want to jump into bed and have sex and forget the A R K L E. But that would be my advice. But if you if you want to go through the other, if you want to go through the other things, I'm just filling up the ground for the next half hour, building the anticipation. A is asking questions. A is asking questions. Okay. I said this morning, I'll say it again, communication is the cement that binds two lives together in holy union and is expressed in many different languages, but initially verbally through the mouth. And I said this morning, uh, I said again, what we say and what someone else hears can be massively different. I mean, I've been involved in churches in Portugal for many years, and uh, I can remember one day saying, I've been to uh, Fisgush, uh, which is a place where there's a big waterfall, and everybody in the room burst out laughing because Fizgush is a female fig. And they said, no, you mean Fizgush." And I said, what the heck's the difference? Fisgush, Fizgush? it's a big difference. Uh, one's a place, one's a female fig. And so when we are talking to our wives in the early years, I think we have to be very careful that we are... Reflecting and asking questions beyond what we assume that person's heard. And of course, you know, we all know the classic, you know, when you're newly married, Heather would say, I'll be five minutes. Now, five minutes meant half an hour, but five minutes in my time is, is, is five minutes. It's 300 seconds, so what were you we, we waiting for? When Heather would say to me in my, our early days, that bow tie is interesting, she... <laughs> she didn't mean it was clever. She meant, what on earth are you thinking of, Bambergascoigne? Um, when Heather, Heather used to ask, does my bum look big in this? The answer was no. <laughs> it looks big in everything. No, the answer... You, know,
2: yeah.
1: you had to learn how to say things and, and, and to speak things. And I want to ask this question, do you know one another's primary love language? And if you've never come across the five love languages, you can check it up on the internet, even this afternoon. You can do an online quiz if you're not making love this afternoon. Uh, because the actual five love languages, which are these, words of affirmation, acts of service, receiving gifts, quality time and physical touch, What Heather and I have found is what was right early on when we first did the test has changed as we have got older. And uh, it's very important you know what the other person likes. No good saying my primary love language is touch and and, 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 and holding hands and going to bed and, and I don't care what your primary one is because you're going to do what I want. Actually, husbands, if we're going to be good husbands, if it is, if your wife loves it when you, you pick, take out the trash or when you, you cook a meal, or you've got you to get better at that. You've got to work harder at that so your wife feels loved, not because actually you feel by making love you're communicating well that you love her. Now, asking questions is the key to understanding. Jonathan Edwards said that as a very good quote, something you can tweet I found this as a young man, it's a key to friendships and uh, when you start off you ask questions and when you're courting you're asking loads of questions and you're just delighted with the answers getting to know a person but I found this as you get older you assume an awful lot, you stop asking questions and your relationship can plateau and asking questions is not a fact finding exercise men. It's not a mechanical. Okay, so what did you do today? Tick. Uh, what did you eat today? Tick. It's it's an, it's an enabling to go beyond the superficial and into the emotional, and actually the best way of doing that is to ask questions, not assume.
0: I always think it's a very sad thing when you go out for a meal and you see a couple sitting opposite each other, eating a lovely candlelit dinner and not saying a thing. And you think, often it's people who've been together, well it appears they've been together for a long time, and the assumption is they've said everything there is to say. There's nothing else to learn or or find out about each other, and I think that's really, really sad. but I think there's a big difference between asking questions, for example, when your husband comes in the door saying, how was your day when you got your back to him, you're cooking the dinner, you're rocking the baby, you're putting the rubbish out, you're whatever. You're just so busy and so focused on what you're doing that really all he's doing is talking to your back, and he's probably just going to give you a one-word answer. So one of the things that I have learnt over many years is, to stop what you're doing and give focused attention. We know it with our kids. Focused attention is so important, but it's also so important with our husbands, ladies, that we stop what we're doing, that we're not always rushing around. We're certainly not answering mobile phones and texts, and that's still a point of attention in our house, okay? Can I just say that? Sometimes guys start talking and there's a beep, beep, and I go, oh, oh, that sounds odd, but I just, you know you need to switch off your phones and give each other focused attention and talk. And for us, it's the bedrock of our marriage. We Actually, when we first got married, we didn't have a telly for quite a few years, which might sound really weird, but actually was a brilliant way of making sure that we talked at quite a deep level very regularly, probably most days. And I think it's a discipline that we still do. It doesn't feel like a discipline because we've always done it. So at least... um, we try and do it every day, but it isn't every day. But we'd have a cup of tea and we would sit down together for half an hour, say, and just chat through the day. Now, I know probably those of you with small children are thinking, how on earth did you ever do it when you had kids? And it was challenging, but there are things called TVs for them to watch. (laughs) Or there's times called bedtimes when they go to bed. The temptation is to just rush off with your life and do your thing, but you need to spend that time finding out about each other, getting to know each other, talking to each other. And if it becomes a habit early on in your marriage, it's something that sustains you all the way through your marriage to the point now where I can feel my tension rising when I think I have got lots of things I want to talk through with Guy and I haven't got time to do it. We must find time together. And it is like just such an emotional outlet for me and I know it is for him too.
1: I remember re- uh, reading of a lady who said, I married Mr. Considerate and now I come home to a couch potato which burps. Um, and I think you can just get very familiar and over-familiar in your marriage and asking questions is, it's a brilliant. I mean, just just cut away from marriage, just for a second. Actually, to build the Church of Jesus Christ, Sunday morning, ten minutes Elders, after you've preached, ten minutes before the meeting begins, elders should be freed up to go and meet guests. And here's what you do. You ask questions. You don't come and say, hey, I'm, I'm Jeremy, I lead the church. Blah, blah, blah You don't give them all the information. You ask them questions. It's the greatest way of connecting people that actually, here's a leader of the church who's interested in me. I've only just walked in the door. I mean, you've got the rest of the morning to greet your church and pray for them and all the rest of it. But I'll tell you, it's a very important part in terms of helping us to build bigger communities. R is responsibility. Responsibility, I would say, is the price of greatness. When you come to Genesis and the original sinning of, of, of Adam and Eve, who was it that sinned first? Eve or Adam? Who took the fruit? Eve. Eve. Okay. Who does God call to account? Adam. Adam. Ever thought that God's not an egalitarian? Because he didn't call the woman and say hey, you were the one. No, he calls the head. The head not being the boss. He called the one who he'd given primary responsibility for. And he challenges the man. Of course he judged the woman as well. But In terms of our leadership men, in terms of our headship, it isn't to be the boss and to be the number one. Headship is about responsibility to be Christ to our wives, to love our wives and be considerate with our wives and to love her in the way that Christ loves his church. And uh, if we are to have integrity as leaders and as husbands and as fathers, we must not settle for anything less than what we believe the Bible says is achievable in a marriage than something, you know, we sometimes preach about marriage, we, we talk about marriage, we must not ourselves l- settle for anything less than what the Bible says is achievable. I just want to say that because I think many of us, we can preach a good sermon in terms of marriage and about the Christian family but actually God would just want to challenge us to be, be actually living with the integrity of actually what you believe is achievable. Are you actually living that out? And I'm saying this because over the years I've had to help many leaders who've got poor marriages, who the leader, the man in particular, is giving all his energy, all his time, all his focus in trying to solve the issues in the church and actually the way to be an answer to those issues is to love The wife. It is to prioritize the wife. That wife must come. God is first, obviously, but the wife, the family comes next. Because if we can't manage our own family or our own households well, how on earth are we supposed to take care of God's family? That's what the Bible says. And so we must, husbands, not think of, well, I'll get round to loving my wife and putting this into practice tomorrow. This is a priority for us. We must take responsibility with. And of course we're living in an age which says don't take responsibility. Pass the buck. It's her fault. You know, if you knew my marriage, if you knew what she was like, you know what it's like living to her, living with her. We're into the blame game and Christians are into this blame game of blaming God as well. got a woman in my church some years ago who said to me, God picked my partner for me and he made a rubbish choice. I never wanted to marry him, but God told me I've got to marry him. And it's like, yeah, let's blame everybody but ourselves. Let's take, you know, no snowflake in an avalanche ever feels responsible. That's that's the truth. And we're living in this age today where nobody's taking responsibility. Nobody takes responsibility for our neighbour. No one takes responsibility for something kicking off in the street. We're all prone to just look after number one. Well, actually, if we're to build these churches full of communities where marriages are upheld and, and, and marriage, the marriage bed is honoured as holy and marriages are a good thing and a godly thing, we have not just got to preach it, we've got to model it. I think New Frontiers over the years, by the grace of God, Tony talk about the grace of God, uh, people like Jeremy and Anne and Stephen Debs, who's out, out in India with them, and Dave and Philippa, and, uh, we've just had a really good time and we look at each other and our friendship isn't just on our leadership thing. Our friendship is husbands and wives together on a mission and we truly are grateful for God getting us thus far and there's room we still want to keep pressing on but it's a grace thing and we want to build marriages and I praise God the new frontiers. We've got such lovely, godly women, men, strong marriages and uh, do you know as a pastor every excuse I've ever heard has always made perfect sense to the person who's made it. You ever sat in a thing and thinking, they're barking mad. <laughs> they're absolutely barking mad, what they've just said, but it makes perfect sense to them. So in, when you're talking about marriage, I know as I do this, you can be excusing yourself even as you're hearing some of this, and it all makes perfect sense to you. That's why, so we must live as leaders with integrity. What do we believe is achievable in marriage? Let's do it for ourselves first as well as encourage others to live for that.
0: If dad ain't happy, nobody cares. If mum ain't happy, nobody ain't happy. Um... And I want to encourage ladies to take responsibilities for our own feelings and emotions. Now, I'm not advocating bottling up and never saying anything, okay? What I'm talking about is recently I started reading a book which was called The Love Dare. I don't know if anybody's read that. It's a 40-day reading scheme about marriage, and then each chapter is about a particular aspect. So the first few chapters are all about 1 Corinthians 13, And the one that really stuck in me was, love is not irritable. Um, And I suddenly realised I can be quite irritable at times. (laughs) That might surprise you, but I think it's... Obviously not. You obviously know me better than I know myself. Um, I found it quite convicting, to be honest, because I thought... Actually, so often as a woman, we can feel fed up about something and we can take that feeling fed up and we can make everybody in the household realize that we're really fed up. And particularly our husbands, because we really are irritable and fed up about something. Now, that might be something that your husband says. So in this chapter, for example, it's suggested that if your husband says something, that your immediate action is, great, I feel really fed up about that. That instead of what you might normally say, now I don't know what you might normally say or what you might normally do, but my normal response when I'm like that is to go quite tight-lipped and a little bit huffy and to go off and think about it for a while and probably give him the cold shoulder for at least half an hour until he says, have I done something to upset you? Where I normally say, no, no. Um, That, when we first got married, used to last several days, which wasn't a good thing. And I learned over time that I was a classic bottle-upper, bottle-upper. Guy is a classic blower-upper. So if Guy's not happy, I know why, I know what I've done. But I would just keep tight-lipped and not say anything. But actually, that's not a pleasant um, atmosphere to have in a home. And I think I realized as I read this chapter that rather than thinking, right, my initial reaction, he's going to pay for what he's just said thanks very much, God, but you're going to pay for that, is I'm going to take responsibility for the fact that actually I might have done something wrong, I might have said something wrong, I might be taking offence where I don't need to, and I say to myself, if nothing else, I'm not going to be irritable about this, I'm not going to go off in a huff and be silly about this. And I think for me, that is a way of me taking responsibility for my relationship with Guy and also the atmosphere and mood in the home. Now don't please think I'm saying therefore you can't ever say you really cheesed me off when you said such and such because I think there is definitely a place for that. But I think there's also definitely a place for um, taking charge of our emotions at times.
1: Very good. The K would be this. I would say keep it simple. What do I mean by that? Well, the number of books that we can buy today on uh, parenting, the number of books we can buy today on marriage, uh, I mean, in Christian books alone, there is a library. Heather and I used to read a book a year on marriage, and I've I've got a fair few on my shelf. And the trouble is, the more you read, the more you understand the, com- the complexities of the differences in men and women and the way in which you feel and emotions and all the rest of it. And actually, the, the more you can actually sometimes get into this thinking that actually you need a degree to understand your spouse. And actually, when you read the sort of literature of divorce lawyers, you know, on your side, you, you get this understanding in the world that a very few people are lucky enough to make it through Marriage, and actually those are the ones who have solved it or sorted it and actually I, I, I would say it's probably quite the reverse I would say that actually good marriages are based on not complexity but simplicity and we're living in the age aren't we where there is so much pressure uh, to have everything in modern Britain All the all the possessions that are pushed upon us, all the must-haves, all the all the the wife must do this, and they must have this holiday. You must have a car, or two cars, or three cars, or two or three televisions, and life becomes very, very complex for us who are men and and us who are women. Do you know holidays rate now is one of the most stressful experiences in life. You think holidays, wow, this is the time we're going to chill and relax and enjoy ourselves. Actually, holidays can rate one of the most stressful experiences. Why? Because we go to it like Kay went to Goa, expecting a nice sandy beach with a blue sea, not a dirty great wreck, sort of 50 yards off the shore. You you go with expectations and they can never be realised. They can never be realised. And the Bible answer, the, my testimony, is actually when we are born again, we are called to swim against the flow. You know, when Jesus was talking and he was talking about birds of the air and Solomon in all his glory and, and uh, do not worry about this and do not worry about that. I've often heard pastors say, so any Christian here worrying, yeah, the Bible says don't worry. Actually, it says at the end of that little bit of teaching that Jesus says, he says each day has enough cares, but actually translated worries, of its own. What Jesus says is he says don't try and live tomorrow, but live today. There's grace for today. There's enough worries for today to get through. Enough issues for today to get through. And I would say, therefore we must swim against the flow of a world which says you must have all this complexity life you must have all these tweeting, buzzing, annoying things that are going off every five minutes. For your happiness, you need to switch them off, swim against the flow, and try and make your time with your wife, time with your families, pushing against flow simple, doing the simple things. I found this. We said with our kids recently, you know, here we have 20 years of them growing up together. What are they best memories. Bearing in mind my parents had taken the whole lot of them to Disneyland. We've had holidays all over the world. We've done some incredible stuff and they went probably our time walking in Wales. Every year we'd go to Wales for a week's holiday, sitting on the beach do a bit of fishing, a bit of walking. They were the best times. It's like they were the cheapest times as well. (laughs) What do we spend all that money doing the other stuff for? Keeping it simple. Elders hear this, and I'm speaking to myself here, it's what Eugene Peter says, don't settle for a bastardised Sabbath. You know, we have a day off, but it's the day off to do all the jobs, all the work, that we haven't been able to get to because we've been doing the spiritual work the other time. So, we've got the trash to take out, the thing to paint. The, we're just busy, but it's just different work. And actually, a Sabbath, a rest, is time apart from these things time with God, time with our loved ones, time where we switch things off and we refresh ourselves in God. Let me just say this Isaiah chapter 40. Even young men stumble for. we used to go to time where. But those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. They'll mount up on wings like eagles. The eagle—I was, I was listening to an expert recently. He was telling me about an eagle. He said an eagle can live the same life as a man, but to do so, it has to fly off when it's 40, 40 years up into the mountains, and there it will peck out its old feathers. There it will beat its head against a rock and break its beak. There it will pluck out its talons, and for a month will allow those things to regrow. And then it launches forth, at the end of that month, it launches forth, it's reborn. It's a certain type of eagle in America, you can download it. And it's, and it's that type of imagery I believe God would want to say to you and Anne. That actually when you're taking a sabbatical, this is a God thing. And it's a God thing not for you to be sort of depleted or feel guilty that you're having time off. It's a, it's a God thing for an eagle or eagles. To, to, to get their plumage back, to get their flight feathers back because you're going to fly further, to get their talent so they can lay hold of the truths of God and, and a strong beak. I feel God would want to say that to you, that this is a God moment for you, that you've run and you've flown hard, but there is a rest that God would say you need to be intentionally serious about swishing things off, that you get time with each other and time with God.
0: Keeping it simple, um, the love language thing that Guy was talking about a little while ago, we actually did that this week because we did it ages ago and we did it again recently. You can do it very quickly online. I think it took five minutes each. That's all it was. And one of the questions was they give you two sentences and you just have to tick the one that which you think is more relevant to you. And one of the ones for me was... um, Do you like it when your husband in a crowded room or a party or whatever puts his arm around you? And I thought, yeah, I really, really like it when Guy does that because that makes me feel like I'm his and like I'm special and like everybody can see I'm special to Guy. And I thought at the time, that is the most simple little thing, isn't it? But to me, it was like a a light-going-on moment. And I think often the ways we express love to each other are the very simple things. And another book I'd recommend, I don't know whether any of you have read it, is His Needs, Her Needs, where it talks about a man's basic needs, the top five or six, I think, and the same for a woman. And it talks about things like one of the number one for men is obviously physical touch, which obviously isn't that surprising. But but the second one is about respect and about showing respect in every shape or form to your man. Uh, And as you do that, how he kind of grows into that position of respect that you're kind of giving him. Very simple thing, but a very good thing. Another couple of simple things. You need to know what things your husband likes you to do to show you might think you know. But you might not. So, some obvious ones might be cooking his favourite meal. Now, not something you know hugely special, but just a nice meal that he really likes. It might be having a laugh together over something. Guy and I love to just sit and roar with laughter about something really silly. We like things like that. Um, another thing, again from this 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 quiz we've just done online, Guy said and I didn't realise this and I'm rubbish at this is when he goes away putting a little note in his case to say miss you love you hope you have a really good time whatever praying for you I don't hardly ever do that but I've realised that's something it's a very simple little thing that he really likes but you need to know what it is your husband likes because every husband will be different here but if you don't know ask him and do it (laughs)
1: Okay, two quick ones to finish with. L is living spontaneously. How many of you know, the older you get in ministry, the more boring you get? You do. You can feel boxed in yourself as a leader, you can feel like marriage, I'm just on tram tracks, I'm just going through the motions and yet Jesus refused to be boxed in by expectations, by crowds, even by his disciples. He took time out to be with his father, time out to do the fun things and things with his disciples and time like that. And I, I just want to, sometimes to be spontaneous, this might sound uh, sort of an oxymoron, you need to plan. That, that sounds weird, doesn't it? But actually, if you don't plan, you actually are sometimes failing to be able to be spontaneous. What do I mean? So if you, we're coming up to, uh, to do north, we're leaving two hours early Why? Because we think of the traffic. No, because we're hoping in the time up here we can get some time where we can just get a coffee together, some time away from the motorway, and just some time together. We, here's something, here's something I'd love you to all do. End of every year, New Year's Eve, this is how we we see the new year in, Heather and I. We take a walk, we light a couple of these Chinese lanterns, we pray as these lanterns fly off, we go back to our home, we look at the last years. List prayer list for our church for ourselves as a family about things we'd love to do and fun things we'd like to do. We have three lists and we and we compare it, we tick it off, and we go, Wow, we, we've seen our son baptized with wow, it's been a prayer answer. And, and actually, we have now gone to Niagara Falls this year. Wow, it's one of the things we've always sort of dreamt about doing, and all the rest of it. And we, 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 we plan. In order that actually, when moments come, we can be spontaneous and go, Do you know, we always wanted to do that. This is a moment. Let's take it. Let's grab it with both hands. And so I would say this, men, live much more spontaneously with your wife. I had a guy who I discipled, didn't disciple him very long after this, but he had an unexpected tax return. He got about four or five hundred pound tax return when I was discipleing. This was some years ago now. And I'm always encouraging, if you get something like that, bless your wife, take her away, buy us a dress or whatever it might be, just do something. He came in the next day with a brand new bike. I didn't disciple him much longer after that.
0: Ever so quick on living spontaneously, the Talmud says we will one day have to give an account of every legitimate pleasure we deny ourselves. That for me, says so often as wives, we can have millions of things that we need to do. There can be dirty dishes to do, a whole pile of jobs, loads of laundry, all the rest. But sometimes if you can just put it to one side and think, let's grab the moment, let's go out and build a snowman out in the garden with the kids, let's go for a walk along the beach with my husband when I wasn't planning to because, oh, actually, there's too much to do. Just, that will all be there tomorrow, but that time with your kids or your husband—just grab it and go for it and enjoy it.
1: And the last uh, letter is E, and I want to say this: even when it hurts, we all have to go through difficult times in our marriages, and with our health, with issues. I've been—I uh, was saying to Tim over lunch—I've been hospitalised twice in going overseas and uh, there have been times when we had long periods of being out physically uh, from from responsibility it says that christ loved the church and gave himself up for it. he washes he washes his bride with the word he is preparing that bride for the great and final day the wedding supper of the lamb that great finale of history that unblemished bride and Jesus loves his bride even when the bride trips even when the bride fails he is loving her and wishing her and washing her for that eternity Liz Taylor said on one of her marriages third or fourth the secret is 51% give 51% not 50-50 I want to say this the secret of a godly marriage is 101% men 101% Christ demands no less for richer or poorer, better or worse. And the only way I could really finish this talk is by saying I have a member of my church who you know, Alan Davis, who three years ago, his lovely wife, his beautiful wife, June Davis, got Alzheimer's. And I've watched that man looking after that woman over those three years. And I can tell you this, he has become more and more like Jesus to me. As he looks after a woman who is now but a shell of the person she once was, not even recognising him at times and wondering who he is, I've seen something of the love of Jesus Christ. And he says to me, I meet up with him regularly, he said, I promise to look after her till death us do part. And God has given me the huge privilege of loving this special person. She served me all these years wonderfully. How could I not serve her in her time of need? And every time it gets me here, I think, that is the love of Jesus Christ. that sh- Even when it hurts, even when yes. we say, well, I, didn't, I didn't realise God when we said we're marrying, we're in love, it was going to mean this. It does. And therefore, we must embrace that. Men, we must embrace that as we, as we press through to the great finale. You don't want to say anymore. Okay, here's what we, how we're going to finish. Because Heather's all tearful now. Here's how we're going to finish. I'd like you to stand up with your husband and wife. If you haven't got... Your husband and wife in the room. <coughs> don't grab. Don't grab anybody else. Now, men, men, good obedient men. I'd like you to repeat after me this prayer, and then women, you're going to pray a prayer head that's going to lead you in a prayer. And so men, I'm going to give you a line at a time. I want you to say it out loud. And say over your wife, I thank God for you as my wife. Thank you God for bringing us together. And for your faithfulness to us over these years. I pray for her today, that you would bless her, that you would encourage her, and that she might hear your voice. I pray that as I, as head of this family, would lead her into the paths of righteousness, that I would prefer her and make her life one where she knows your and my love. and that you give me grace today to change for your glory. Amen. Ladies, I thank
0: God for you as my husband. Thank you, God, for bringing us together and for your faithfulness to us over the years. Holy Spirit, would you touch him today? Would you refresh him and help him to hear your word and put it into practice? May I help him with a submissive heart and encourage him to be the leader of our family as you've called him to be. Give me grace today to change for your glory.
1: Amen. Now, go to it.